Morning Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, February 6th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Pope Francis calls for peace and forgiveness in South Sudan. Today, I would like to thank you because you are the salt of the earth in this country. A UN official hopes that the Pope's visit would breathe new energy into South Sudan peace implementation. Today is the International Day of Zero Tolerance to Female Genital Mutilation. Is Liberia's President George Weah campaigning early for his re-election? East African leaders have again called for a ceasefire in eastern DRC. The summit observed that the security situation in eastern DRC is a regional matter that can only be sustainably resolved through a political process. And a discussion with a popular Ghanaian reggae musician nominated for his third Grammy Award. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's Sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Francis flew back to Rome on Sunday after a three-day tour of South Sudan. The Pope concluded his visit with a mass before an estimated 100,000 people at the John Garand Mausoleum, where he reiterated a message of peace for the country's faithful. Sheila Pony reports for VOA News from Juba. Jesus knows your anguish and the hope you bear in your hearts the joys and struggles that make your lives, the darkness that assails you, and the faith that is like a song in the night. You raise to heaven. This was Pope Francis' message during a mass for South Sudan's faithful in the nation's capital of Juba Sunday morning. It was the final day of his African pilgrimage of peace. The Pope's homely weave around the themes of reconciliation and mutual forgiveness for past wrongs. Archbishop Stephen Ameo says the Pope's message is timely and one the nation needs to hear. South Sudan has endured nearly a decade of civil war. It is discouraging that the peace process has moved forward so slowly. War has brought the indiscriminate destruction of human lives. We have experienced looting, raping, economic deterioration, and the displacement of countless people. The Pope asked worshippers to shun the blind fury of violence. The Pope spoke through an interpreter. Today, I would like to thank you because you are the salt of the earth in this country. Yet, when you consider its many wounds, the violence that increases the venom of hatred and the injustice that causes misery and poverty, you may feel small and powerless. During an earlier stop Saturday at Juba's Freedom Hall, Pope Francis met with internally displaced people and listened to the testimonies of children including 16-year-old Josephine. We have been also affected by flood since Josephine said, We have been affected by floods since 2022. Many people have lost their livestock and crop. We urge the leader to bring to us peace and prosperity. The Pope discussed his desire for resumption of the peace process for South Sudan immediately. The Pope spoke through an interpreter. I want to renew 
my forceful and heartfelt appeal to end all conflict and to resume the peace process in a serious way so that violence can end and people can, can return to living in dignity. Only with peace, stability and justice can there be development and social reintegration. There is no room for further delay. The Pope was joined on his ecumenical peace mission by Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welbe and Right Reverend Ian Greenshields, moderator of the Church of Scotland, representing the Catholic, Anglican and Presbyterian religions that make up most of the population in South Sudan. Sheila Pony for VOA News in Juba. The Deputy Special Representative of the UN Secretary-General and Resident Coordinator of the UN Mission in South Sudan says the country needs a development to address its humanitarian needs. But Sarah Beslo-Nyanti says for that to happen, peace must reign throughout the country. She spoke with VOA after she and South Sudan's internally displaced persons attended a program with Pope Francis on Saturday in Juba. Beslo-Nyanti tells me that attacks and murder of humanitarian workers Workers have made the delivery of well-needed assistance more difficult. One of the most difficult things to deal with is when you get that phone call that tells you another humanitarian worker has been killed. And as they head for the humanitarian operation in South Sudan, and also they head for the development operation in South Sudan, it's heartbreaking because if we do not have development taking root in South Sudan, we will not be able to address the humanitarian situation. But for that to happen, peace is required. And when you're having humanitarian workers who are helping to meet the acute needs of those across the country who are most vulnerable, when they are killed, then you are attacking those who are there to help. And that makes it very difficult for me to be able to encourage people every day to continue to go out and serve when they are being attacked themselves. We lost nine in 2022. We have already lost three already in January 2023. And so for all those listening who have influence over the people of South Sudan and for those who are well-meaning for South Sudan, for all South Sudanese themselves, we need to forge peace. Peace is required at the household level, at the community level, because development has to take root. And for development to take root, there must be peace. Pope Francis' visit to South Sudan comes just at a time that uh, violence in South Sudan continues, implementation of the peace process is not on track. When we last spoke, the UN had called for fresh urgency to revive the negotiations. So where are we in terms of uh, implementation of the peace process in South Sudan? Well, what we have had in the last month is that the major parties to the peace agreement have signed a roadmap, a roadmap that extends the current agreement but also takes us towards elections in December 2024. We have seen necessary unified forces coming together, being graduated, being given capacity building. And this is very important. If we must have peace in South Sudan, we need a unified force. We are seeing some progress on passing of some laws and some bills that are necessary for constitution making and very necessary for us to pave the way towards elections. There's a lot to be done, but some steps have been taken. And for us as partners to the government, we are hopeful that with the visit of the Pope, we'll see new energy and we'll see new action. As the Pope said, we don't want words anymore, we want deeds, we want action. We'll see new actions geared towards fulfilling all of the benchmarks of the peace agreement, but most importantly, translating that into tangible results for the people of South Sudan, which will mean giving them the opportunity for development and to build this nation as it deserves. 
Sarah Beslunyanti is the Deputy Special Representative of the UN Secretary General and Resident Coordinator in South Sudan. Central African heads of state met on Saturday at an extraordinary summit in Bujumbura, Burundi, to discuss conflict in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. As journalist Zanep Neti Zaidi reports from Goma, people in the region have various reactions to the meeting. The East African Community Meeting came amid renewed violence in the DRC, largely involving the M23, who have taken over large swathes of territory and are encircling the city of Goma. Critics say they have violated a previous ceasefire and an agreement to hand back occupied land. They say they are protecting Tutsi from genocide, a charge human rights activists deny. Observers also say Rwanda is backing the M23, which allegations refuted by Kigali at the end of the summit. Stakeholders agreed to another ceasefire by all parties to the conflicts. Peter Matuki is the Secretary General of the East African Community. The summit observed that the security situation in Eastern DRC is a regional matter and not a matter of one or two countries that cannot be sustainably resolved through a political process and it should be heightened so that it can enhance dialogue among all the stakeholders. The heads of state directed also as follows. There must be immediate ceasefire by all political parties. The spokesman for the M23 rebels, Laurence Mukanya, thanked the heads of states for the talks. We thank very much the head of state for their endless effort to fund a peaceful resolution to the ongoing conflict in the eastern DRC. However, we urge the DRC government coalition and MONESCO to respect the ceasefire. The M23 has already handed over its position of Kibumba and Rumangabu, it has already offered other areas to be handed over. So the M23 is in line. So it requests the other party to actually do the part as it takes two to tango. This is the latest of many efforts to end the fighting. Many, like Goma residents, Jean Tombo, support the peace efforts. Solution. He says that the solution will not come from war with killings and so on. He says that human life is precious. He does not see anything wrong with the continuation of dialogue because the population is feeling the harmful effects of war. On the other hand, others say the talks have become too numerous and have failed to end the violence. Amzanem Netizaidi in Goma for VOE Africa. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, February 6th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. More than 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone female genital mutilation, also known as FGM. According to the World Health Organization, the number of women subjected to the harmful practice has been declining for decades. And as the world marks International Day of Zero Tolerance for FGM today, Monday, statistics show that girls today are a third less likely to undergo the harmful practice than 30 years ago. Marine Ojiambo reports. 
Female genital mutilation is a harmful practice that involves the alteration of the female genital organs for cultural reasons. According to the United Nations Population Fund, UNFPA, the act can cause health complications including severe infection, chronic pain, depression, infertility and death. In many traditions, it is believed that the procedure decreases a woman's sexual impulses and promotes faithfulness to her partner. Globally, FGM is today recognized as a human rights violation. Pascal Alotti is a director at WHO's Department of Sexual and Reproductive Health. She says, despite efforts to eradicate the practice, globally at least 3 million girls and women each year are estimated to be at risk. Of FGM. Female genital mutilation has no medical benefits and only causes harm to women and girls. It is a violation of their dignity and rights. Thankfully, this harmful practice has been declining in recent decades, although in countries where it has been practiced traditionally, one third of girls are still subject to it. The theme of this year's commemoration is partnership with men and boys to transform social and gender norms to end female genital mutilation. In Kenya, a young girl is nursing serious injuries after her brother subjected her to the harmful act. The woman whose identity has been withheld comes from Kuria community in western part of Kenya. In this community, FGM is a rite of passage for adolescent girls. The girl had ran away from home for fear of undergoing the procedure. But on her return, her brother abducted her and forced her to undergo mutilation as part of their culture. FGM activist in the area, Tobias Marwa, says the brother is now in police custody. She was examined and it was confirmed by our medical personnel that indeed she underwent an FGM, a serious one. Female genital mutilation limits opportunities for women and girls across the world for exercising their rights and realizing their potential. The WHO says one in four women and girls who have undergone FGM are subjected to the act by healthcare providers. Pascal Alotti says those who perform the procedure are violating fundamental medical ethics. The decline has been uneven in countries. WHO is supporting health workers to resist these requests and instead be advocates for change. The United Nations Population Fund says at least 2.4 billion US dollars are needed for countries affected by FGM to eradicate the practice by 2030. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. In Liberia, the leader of the opposition collaborating political parties, Alexander Cummings, said President George Weir may already be violating the rules of the National Elections Commission for the 2023 parliamentary and presidential polls. The president used his annual State of the Nation speech last week to announce his bid for another term in office. On Saturday, the ruling Coalition for Democratic Change, CDC, held a rally at the National Stadium to nominate Weir for re-election. According to the Elections Commission, campaigning should begin August 5th and conclude October 8th. Cummings said the president and his team are trying to get ahead of the election schedule because they are panicking, knowing that Weir cannot win re-election. I think it's a reflection of two things. One, the reflection of the fact that the president recognizes that he is unlikely to win re-election and it reflects the fact that they're panicking and are trying to get out ahead of the election schedule. 
But secondly, it's another reflection of the frequent violations of all of our norms and rules and regulations per the election schedule. I believe campaigning is supposed to officially start in August. And here we are in February, and the president has his pictures and posters all over Monrovia, and I believe in other counties as well, having, you know, big rallies. So again, in flagrant violation of our rules, but again, uh, a manifestation, the fact that they are panicking, knowing that they failed the Liberian people, and we only have one term as president of Liberia. Now, so if that is the case, I, I, I don't know the schedule right now, but does the opposition plan to at least launch a complaint with the election commission? How does it work? So we are looking at all the legal implications and ramifications of that, and we will likely be launching a complaint with the National Elections Commission. But we also just want to be sure of the basis by which we'll do that. We don't want to just loosely do it, but it's from all appearances, they're in violation of the elections laws, and we'll be looking at you know, filing a complaint with the Elections Commission. That was Alexander Comis, the leader of the opposition collaborating political parties of Liberia. He was speaking with us from the capital, Monrovia. Liberia's Minister of Information, Ledger Hood Renning, says President George Weir has not violated the country's election laws by campaigning early. This after opposition leader Alexander Cummings says the president may already be violating the rules of the National Elections Commission for the 2023 parliamentary and presidential vote. The president used his annual State of the Nation speech last week to announce his bid for another term in office. On Saturday, the ruling Coalition for Democratic Change, the CDC, held a rally at the National Stadium to nominate Weir again. According to the Elections Commission, campaigning should begin August 5th and conclude October 8th. Information Minister Renning tells me Cummins is nervous about the massive turnout the president is getting at his campaign rallies. James, I think the claims of Mr. Cummings are simply preposterous, to say the least. How can they amount to any violation of the election laws of our country? The president told the nation that he was running for second term for the presidency. And also his supporters decided that they will, you know, petition him on Saturday. I think Mr. Cummings is just, you know, playing defeatist because of the groundswell and mum of support that came for the president yesterday, not just in Monrovia, but across the country. Signifies that... Uh, He's on his way to re-election, and I don't see a violation there. But are there campaign posters of the president uh, being posted in the capital, Monrovia, or elsewhere in the country at uh, this time? They're not campaign posters. They're just posters to say, President, we are re-election day 2023. How can they amount to campaigning? They do not amount to campaigning. Nobody is saying vote, President, we are. When you say vote, then that's a whole different ball game. But these posters are just saying 2023, we are. So how can they amount to any violation? If there are violations, the Elections Commission will, will say that. But there are no violations. So Mr. Cummings, like I say, is crying wolf for no reason because I think uh, the opposition now is sensing defeat. Ledger Hood Rennie is Liberia's information minister. He was speaking with us from the capital, Monrovia. Popular Ghanaian reggae musician Rocky Dawuni is expressing excitement following his third Grammy Award nomination. He was nominated for the Best Global Music Performance at the 65th Grammy Award Ceremony, which took place yesterday Sunday in Los Angeles, California. Dawuni's nomination was secured by the boss surrounding his song, Never Bowed Down. He spoke with viewers Peter Clotty about his nomination. 
it's always exciting because the thing is that your peers within uh, the music fraternity uh, around the world have acknowledged your works, you know. So, you know, as an artist, you know, you do a body of work and a lot of times, you know, you try to make sure that every time you stay relevant and also your work has impact. So for me, when the first nomination was incredibly exciting, second nomination was exciting. And then this third one too, it's exciting because it's a validation that whatever the processes that I've been working on and the energy that I've been putting on, uh, people are taking notice. So I am just elated. And then the opportunity to also bring Ghana music for the third time opportunity to the Grammys for me too. I feel that uh, it's a date with uh, history and um, it's also something to let our industry know that, you know, the opportunity for our sound to be recognized within this fraternity too, the time has come. So three is a charm and it's a great thing. <laughs> that was popular Ghanaian reggae musician, Rocky Dawuni, who has been nominated for his third Grammy Award. He was speaking with viewers Peter Clotty. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport with cricket. It's barely five days before the 2023 ICC Women's T20 World Cup gets underway in South Africa. This is the first time South Africa is hosting a Women's T20 World Cup, an occasion which will take the profile of women's cricket in South Africa and the continent to new heights. A total of 10 teams who are participating in the tournament have been divided into two groups. Australia, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh and New Zealand alongside South Africa. Africa are in Group A, and England, Ireland, Pakistan, and West Indies, alongside India, are in Group B. Hilton Moreng is the head coach of the South Africa women's cricket team. I think for us, yes, it's been group prep, but then, especially after the way we started against India in the tri series, and the momentum was good. It was a great upward curve, and the good thing about the team is different players on different days put up their hand to make sure we get the required result, and we could. It allowed us also to rotate the the squad and give everyone an opportunity to play, especially in those conditions which we anticipate in the World Cup that we might get. And, and overall, uh, I think it's an exciting time to be uh, involved in women's cricket and uh, we're hosting the world and uh, Momentum Proteas are ready to go. And now to Athletics, where Edwin Kibet of Kenya on Saturday emerged winner of the 2023 Gold Label Access Bank Lagos City Marathon after returning a time of 2 hours, 14 minutes, 06 seconds to claim the $50,000 prize money. Ethiopian runner Dikeba Tafa came second in 2 hours, 14 minutes, 54 seconds, while another Kenyan, Bernard Sang, came third in 2 hours, 17 minutes, 14 seconds. Kibet, after the race, said the humidity made the race a little bit tougher. It is very high here, so I try to run my best, not to see the time, I to, to, to run the time, only to finish and to, to maybe to win the race. In the women's category, it was an all-Ethiopian affair as Almanish Guta won the race for the second time in 2 hours, 40 minutes, 42 seconds. 
to repeat her feat in 2018. Yurisa Kebene Chala came second in 2 hours, 40 minutes, 42 seconds, while Naomi Mayo, who came third at the 2022 edition, maintained her spot in the position with 2 hours, 40 minutes, 56 seconds. Elsewhere in Kenya, two-time world and Olympic 1,500 meters champion Faith Kipyogan won the Siakwa Cross Country held at the Labo Village in Eldoret, Kenya. The Kenyan leg of the World Cross Country Gold Tour event brought athletic stars from across 16 countries and saw the peerless Kipyogan take victory in 33 minutes and 50 seconds. I've enjoyed myself starting the season with the cross country and I said yesterday this is my first race and starting of the season 2023 and it was really quite good. And that's it for the Monday's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson. Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, February 6th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for beginning your week with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Botte in Washington, wishing that you